me. My name is Larry, and um, I have the privilege of actually preaching a short three-week series here at the village. So get ready. I've been interning with the church for about two years now, and it's been an awesome time. I love this church. Um, it's unlike any other church I've ever been in. Uh, I grew up in California, and then I spent some time in New York and some time in Virginia. And so I, I traveled around, but I love this church. I love it for a variety of reasons. It's diversity. You know, it's value for community, and, and it's emphasis on living on mission and being passionate about the gospel and having a mentality of reaching people who don't know Jesus, um, desire to bring the kingdom to to Baltimore, a desire to bring social justice to Baltimore, and uh, and if you're new, I, and I met a few people, so I know there are new people here. If you are new, um, I welcome you to stick this out and uh, just to just to try to experience what God has in store for you here. So um, let's just pray real quick before we start. Okay, Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for uh, being a sovereign God who loves us and cares for us and wants our good. Thank you that your kingdom is here and now, and that we have an opportunity to live in it wherever you take us, wherever you, wherever you place us, God. And I pray that today you would give us a little taste of what that means. I pray this on your son's name. Amen. So I also just uh, finished my first year of seminary, and some people don't know what seminary is, but basically it's grad school for people who want to be equipped for ministry. And um, it's also for people who want to be better Pharisees, okay? So some people use seminary to be better Pharisees, and hopefully I'm not doing that. But um, one of the things that seminary has done for me is that it has given me a bigger perspective of the Bible and uh, a greater appreciation of the Bible. And the reality is people are from different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences, and because of that, they approach the Bible differently, and that's just, that's just natural. That's what people do. For example, you know, if you've experienced a lot of pain and suffering in your life, if you've experienced a lot of pain and suffering in your life, you tend to look at passages that talk about God being a healer. If you've experienced a lot of, um, you know, your life has been horrible, you've always felt like you're always behind and you're trying to survive, you're trying to make it, you often look to the Bible and try to find passages where it talks about God being a provider, if you, your whole life, you've been uh, trying to prove yourself, you're always feeling like you're messing up, you're always trying to be a better person, you can't be, right? And you're always trying to be that somebody, you're always setting this ideal that you're trying to reach, then maybe when you look at the Bible, you look for passages that talk about God being a God of forgiveness and grace. Now, all of these things are true, okay? But I think there's a danger when we tend to read the Bible in the mentality that we want to suit our needs. The Bible exists only to suit what we want. And I think it's dangerous because we miss everything else in the Bible. And many of us, when we read the Bible, we have blind spots. We miss things. Okay, so one of my goals in seminary has been to try to read and understand the Bible in the way that God intended without these blind spots. And one of the areas that I want to talk about today is one of those blind spots, at least for me. And it's the reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this theme that runs throughout the Bible and it's everywhere. I'm just going to read two passages real quick. The first one is in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was just baptized, just sent into the desert, and he's back from the desert. And this is the start of his ministry. And he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And at the very end of his ministry, in Acts chapter 1, 
Okay? This is after he died and after he rose from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. It says, he presented himself, uh, Luke writes, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the beginning of his ministry, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And at the very end of his ministry, at least his earthly ministry, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So what's the big deal about the kingdom of God? Okay. Um, and I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons why we have so many problems in today's church is because so many of us, we don't understand this idea of the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons why I think we don't understand is most of us, we've never lived in a kingdom before. Okay, most of us, we live in a democracy. Okay, and in a democracy, there are no kings. And so we don't really have a paradigm to understand what it means that God has a kingdom. Okay, and uh, maybe some of you have lived in kingdom-like countries before. Maybe some of you have been to the United Kingdom. Okay, United Kingdom is a kingdom. And, uh, but it's very different still. Right, it's it's a constitutional monarchy, and I won't get into that. But it's a little different from the Roman Empire, which is when the Bi- when the writers of the Bible were writing about the kingdoms, they're thinking about the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire. That's what they were talking about. Okay, so I'm just going to really quickly compare kingdom with democracy. Okay, so be- be- just to give you guys a flavor of what this kingdom thing is about. Okay, so um, in a democracy, people decide what the laws are. Okay, you. You vote for people who represent your values and your opinions, and they say, these are the laws of the land. In a kingdom, the king decides what the laws are, okay? And that's it. There's no buts. You can't rebuttal. You can't have a referendum. It's just the king decides, okay? In a democracy, people own property and possessions. You can own a car. You can own you know, a house. You can own, I don't know, money in the bank, and, and it's yours no matter what people say. In a kingdom, the king owns everything. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of a, of a king named King Ahab, king of Israel, and he saw this guy's vineyard one day, and he said, I want this vineyard, so I'm going to kill the guy. So he just killed the guy, and he took the vineyard. That's, that's what kings did back then, okay? Um, in a democracy, people who have committed crimes are judged by a jury. In jury, supposedly, they're made, of, made up of random people, and, but the idea is they're supposed to be made up of citizens, it's supposed to be unbiased, okay? But in a kingdom, you're not necess- you don't necessarily have a jury. Uh, maybe the king judges you himself, and he can just say, hey, I, I recognize you. Uh, you. Your mom gave me a bad haircut. Your mom's a barber, right? And you go, no, my mom's not a barber. I'm sure your mom's a barber, and she gave me a bad haircut. You know what? You're, you're going to jail. It's just as simple as that, you know? There's no buts. You can't argue. That's just how it works. And so how does that sound? You know, I'm going to guess, unless you are best friends with the king, it's probably pretty unpleasant. I wouldn't want to live in a kingdom. I, I prefer living in a democracy. I'm thankful to be born and raised in this country, right? So why then, why then does the Bible use this language of the kingdom? Why does the Bible say that God has a kingdom? And over the next weeks, next few weeks, we'll be exploring this idea of the kingdom. Today we'll be talking about the king of the kingdom, and next week, we'll be talking about the people of the kingdom. And week three, we'll be talking about the mission of the kingdom. Pretty straightforward, okay? Um, so why are we starting with the king? Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is about the king. The kingdom of God is about the king. And if you don't understand the king, you can't understand the kingdom. So that's what we're talking about today. And I hope to give you, over this time, a little taste of the kingdom so that you'll be empowered to be a 
bold citizen of this kingdom. So that's what we do. That's what we do. Let's go to Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. And uh, I forgot to look up the page number in the pew. So if you, if you have a pew, do you want to yell it out? 550-550. That's the page number in the pew. If you want to follow along on the screen, that's fine too. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So let's break this down um, a little bit. Let's just start with the first two verses. God is saying... Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. And he also says, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Okay, so whenever we jump into the Bible, into a random passage like this, it's always important to understand the context. Otherwise, it's like you walk into a room and people are watching a movie, okay, and in the movie, someone's professing his love to another person, and someone's talking about a bomb, and there's a car chase, and you just have no idea what's going on, right? You know, what, what's this bomb, and who are these people? What's their relationship? Why are these people chasing each other? You need to know the context, because you haven't watched from the beginning of the movie to that point. Okay, and in some movies, okay, you need to watch to the very end of the movie to even understand the beginning of the movie. So, so the Bible is like that. When you jump into a passage like this, you got to understand, okay, why is God upset at these shepherds? Who are these shepherds? And what is this, who is this David guy? And what does this mean? So I'm just going to back up a little bit to understand, to help us understand the context a little bit, okay? Uh, so we're going to jump around in the Bible. So if you are really into jumping around the Bible, okay, this is your lucky day because we'll do that. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 1. Um, I'll have everything on the screen, too. So if you're not into jumping around in the Bible, you can just look at the screen. Genesis chapter 1, this is the first chapter of the Bible, and this is where God created the world. And if, if you're in youth group, you should be really familiar with this because we studied this just a few weeks ago. But this is when God created the world, and here it's talking about God creating human, creating human beings, okay? And this is starting from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so, oh good, I, I, I made some of the text yellow. And I did that intentionally. And if you've re read the Bible at all, you'll know that the Bible sometimes is repetitive, okay? And that's not because the biblical writers forgot what they were writing. It's because they wanted to emphasize certain things. 
And so when the Bible repeats itself, you've got to pick up on it because it means it's important. And here there's something that's really fascinating. It talks about how we were made in God's image. And then it talks about how we need to have dominion over the creation. And then it talks about, again, we're made in God's image. And then it talks about how we've got to have dominion over the creation. Okay? You see that? We're made in God's image. That's our identity. And then we need to have dominion. We need a rule. That's our mission. And then we're, and then we're made in God's image again. That's our identity. And then we've got to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. That's our mission. So our identity and our mission are very coincided. They're very intertwined. Okay? And that's important to understand that there's a very close relationship between humanity's identity as image bearers of God and humanity's mission to have dominion, be fruitful, and to multiply. And they work together because God designed people to be rulers, okay? But he designed us to rule in a specific way, to rule in such a way that we reflect the image of God. Okay, what does it mean to reflect the image of God? It means we look at God, we see God's character, God's personality, God's values, and we rule in a way to reflect that. So if God is love, then we rule with love. If God is peace, we rule with peace. If God is justice, we rule with justice, okay? Our, the way we behave, the way we have authority on earth, the way we care for creation, the way we, the way we care for each other is with God's values. Okay? That's what it means to have God's image-bearingness in us as we rule. But the moment we start ruling in a way that is separated from our identity as image-bearers of God, then things fall apart, okay? So that's, that's God's original intention, but if we don't obey God's original intention, things fall apart, and that's what happened, okay? So Genesis chapter 10, this is the next passage. Genesis chapter 10, starting from verse 8. In Genesis chapter 10, there's a whole list of names, but I'm not going to go through the list of names. I'm just going to talk about these few verses. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. Okay, so this is the first time the word kingdom appears in the Bible. Right here, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And if you are a Bible nerd, um, like I am, you will notice that one of these cities stands out to you. Babel. Some people say Babel. Some people say Babel. I'll say Babel. Okay, and um, Babel is the first major city that humans built. Okay. And uh, it was built so that people can make a name for themselves. That's literally what it says in chapter 11. We won't get there. But people built Babel to make a name for themselves. What does that mean? They did not want to be image bearers of God anymore. They wanted to be image bearers of themselves. Okay? They did not want to reflect God. They, did not want to, they, they wanted to reflect themselves. They did not want to be fruitful and multiply and scatter around the earth. They wanted to build and center on one location, okay? And from then onwards, all of human civilization from the Babylonian Empire, and, and fun fact, some scholars say that the Babylonian Empire started with Babel, similar sounding names, right? From the Babylonian Empire to the Roman Empire, all of human civilization, they chose to rule as image bearers of human beings and not image bearers of God. Okay, so, so if some of you hate history, sorry, okay, but we're almost done. Last passage for this section. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, and in this part of the Bible, 
um, God had just rescued the ancient Israelites from Egypt. Okay, this is Moses and the Red Sea and everything's awesome. And now they're wandering around in the desert and God is saying, okay, I rescued you. Now here's how things are going to work. Okay, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And this is how things are going to work. So he says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, Israel was chosen to be God's new kingdom on earth. Okay, God gave a mission to Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, this is how you are to rule. You are to rule with my character, my image. They didn't. Generation after generation, people didn't. And so, the vision of creation in which humans ruled with love and peace and justice, that was going to be manifested in Israel, okay? And I'm not going to go throughout, I'm going to go through Israel's history, but all you need to know is that Israel soon had their own kings, and many of their kings were bad. And uh, many of their kings, they abused their power. Um, over and over again, they chose not to rule in a way that aligned with God's character. They chose to abuse their power. And eventually, God will give Israel up. Israel will be conquered by um, Assyria and Babylonia. And, and that's the context that Jeremiah is prophesying in. It's at the very end of Israel's history. And he's saying, God, he's saying that God is saying, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. God is saying, the nation of Israel, these are my sheep. I love them. I care for them. And you, the shepherds, the shepherds are figuratively the, the rulers, the kings of Israel. He's saying, you are messing them up. You're destroying them. You're scattering them. You're driving them away. You've not attended to them. Why is God so upset? Because they aren't ruling with his character in mind. They aren't ruling with responsibility. In Spider-Man, um, Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? And that's not what they were doing. They had great power, but they squandered their responsibility. And we can relate to this. Many of us, we can relate to this. People in power abuse their power. Okay? People in power abuse their power. Many of you perhaps have suffered from the abuse of power. Okay, I'll just name a few examples. Okay? And then you can think of your own examples. Sometimes gov government officials are corrupt. Sometimes government officials are corrupt. Now, I'm not saying all government officials are corrupt, but sometimes they're corrupt. I'm not saying all policemen are corrupt, but some policemen are corrupt. Sometimes parents are corrupt. Okay? I'm not saying all parents are corrupt, but sometimes parents are corrupt. What do, I, what do I mean? Sometimes parents come home and it's a hard day at work and they take it out on their kids. And that's a reality that millions of kids in the world that grow, that grow up dealing with that reality. That there's people in authority over them who abuse their power. Okay? Sometimes religious leaders are corrupt. And people, maybe some of you have experienced that. You go to church or you go to wherever you're supposed to, whatever your religious affiliation of worship is, okay, you go there and you expect to be healed, you expect to be comforted, and people abuse their power. That's why we hear about sex scandals, that's why we hear about people not using finances for the church but for themselves, okay, we hear about those stories all the time. And sometimes celebrities or athletes are corrupt, 
Okay, you might not think of celebrities, celebrities and athletes as people in power, but they have power. They have social power. They have the power to influence. And sometimes they're corrupt. You, 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 you pick somebody, you admire them, you know, you have their posters on your wall or whatever, and then you find out they failed horribly in some moral way. That happens. For me, it was my dad. For me, it was my dad. If you were to ask me growing up who my role model was, I would have said it was my dad. I wanted to be like him. He had an amazing work ethic. He was the only person from his high school to go to college. And he, he had, you know, the classic immigrant story. He came to the States with nothing, and he had a rags riches story. And uh, he was a Christian. He was passionate about his faith. He taught Sunday school at my home church, and his classroom was packed all the time. And he went on mission trips all the time to China, to Ukraine, and everywhere. And he was amazing at what he did. And um, four years ago, almost out of nowhere, he just, he just left. He left his job. He left his church. He left his family. He didn't explain why. He just left. And uh, to this day, he hasn't told us why. He just, and since he left four years ago, I've only seen him like three or four times. Um, I tried to talk about what happened, but he would just give vague responses. And to this day, you know, I'm still in the process of figuring out what exactly happened. Why did he do this? I'm still in the process of trying to make sense of it all. And to this day, every time I got married a little over a year ago, we celebrated our first year uh, a few weeks ago. And um, every time I fail as a husband, I think about my dad. And I... Deep down, I'm scared because I admired him for so long, because I wanted to be like him for so long. I'm scared. What if I do that one day? What if I leave my own family? And to this day, what he did, it shapes who I am. So that was my dad. He had power. He had authority. God put him as, in my life as my parent, and he left. Fortunately, I was an adult when he left, but I got younger brothers. I got a kid who, I mean, I got, I don't have a kid. I have a brother who was in elementary school when he left. And what do you do with that? And, I, and, and, and he had donuts with dad day at school, and I was his dad. And nobody else, I mean, everybody was wearing suits, and I, I don't even know what I was wearing. Right? But I, I mean, what, do I, what do you do with that? So that's my story. You know, I asked God often, ask God often, when will my dad come home, if ever? If, will, will he come home, and why isn't he coming home? And, and God, what, what does this mean? Why did you do this? And what, who, is, who is it for you? I want you to think about your life. Who in your life has had power and authority in some way, and they let you down? Who in your life has had power but let you down? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a teacher. But they had power and influence, and they abused what they had. And sometimes, let's be real, when it happens, it distances you from God. You say to God, God, why would you condone this? Why would you let this happen? And if that's who, I invite you to consider what God is saying in Jeremiah 23. You're upset at these people who have abused their power. God is upset also. God is upset at them as well. God is on your side. He's saying, woe to these shepherds. These, you are, 
you are God's sheep and he loves you so much. And God is saying to those who have abused their power over you, woe to these shepherds. So don't let, don't let bad leaders in your life keep you from experiencing God himself. Maybe you're still thinking, okay, God, I understand, you know, God, you're upset at these leaders, but are you doing anything? Are you doing anything about this? And, and God is. Let's read on. In verses 3 and 4, God says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. God says that he will bring people back to the fold, and they will what? They will be fruitful and multiply. That's the original intention of creation, right? To be fruitful and to multiply. And God will set shepherds over them who will care for them. There will be no more fear, no more, no more dismay. Nobody will be missing. That's, those are the leaders that we want, right? Those are the people in power that we want. Can you envision leaders like that? Where you don't have fear or dismay, where everybody is safe, and secure. Is that possible? A few years ago, I saw Where the Wild Things Are. Um, I don't know if you guys know about it. It was a children's book for the longest time, and it was made into a movie a few years back, and it's actually one of my favorite movies. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say that, but that and The Little Rascals. And, but I love this movie, and, um, and some people give it a hard time, but basically, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it, so cover your ears for uh, a minute or two if you don't want to spoil it. But basically, um, there's this kid named Max, and that's Max in the, uh, the wolf outfit, whatever. And he goes off into this imaginary world, and he meets these monsters, and uh, uh, the monsters try to eat him. And he says, no, don't eat me. I'm actually a king. And he's making stuff up. And, and the monsters question him, what do you mean you're a king? And he's like, I've, I've destroyed all these people in the past. I'm really powerful. And then the monsters question him, can you help us out? Like, if we have, what do you do with sadness? And he goes, I have a sadness shield. And he goes, what about loneliness? And he says, I can make loneliness explode. And I, we can build this fort where only the things we want to happen will ever happen in this fort. But over time, and so they, they agree, they make him king, and they mess around for a while. And towards the end of the movie, they start to discover one by one, he's not all that he says he is. He messes up, and he fails. And Alexander, who is this goat monster, um, has his heart-to-heart with Max and and it clicks in Alexander's mind, maybe Max isn't a king. And he says, you're not really a king, huh? You're just regular. And Max is silent, and, and Alexander says, I knew it. I don't even know if there is such a thing as a king that can do all the things you said. He says, I don't even know if there is such a thing as a king who can do all the things that you said. And is there a king who can do all the things that Max said? Is there a king who can take away sadness and loneliness and only things that you want to happen will happen? Is there a king like that? In Jeremiah 23, verse 5, God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Who is God talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Hundreds of years after this prophecy, God chose to send his son himself. 
He's saying, all these guys who messed up, okay, you've had enough time to mess up. Move over, and I'm sending my son. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And when Jesus said that, he was referencing this passage in Jeremiah where where God is saying, woe to you, bad shepherds. I'm going to send good shepherds. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Now, if you heard this verse several times before, I'm the good shepherd, it might just go over your head because it sounds like nor- it sounds normal because we don't know, most of us, we don't know shepherds. But it, can you just imagine this, okay? A good shepherd laying down his life over the sheep. That's like saying, I'm the good gardener. I will lay down my life for my flowers. Or I'm the good fisherman. I will lay down my life for the fisherman. That sounds ridiculous unless you're Jesus himself, okay? It's the greater serving the lesser. It's Jesus, and he's the perfect king. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take on the role of a broken criminal, and I'm going to die on a cross. That's what Jesus did. He looked down at us. Okay, Throughout history, everybody has failed as a ruler. And then Jesus came. He came along, and he has the greatest power. He chose to show the greatest responsibility. How? By, by looking at humanity, locked in a cycle of sin, and he chose to become an ordinary human being. He allowed himself to be convicted for a crime he didn't commit. And he was flogged and killed on a cross in the most shameful way. And he humbly died. And he did that for us to set us free from the bondage of sin. That is the perfect king becoming a criminal for our sake. That is the good shepherd laying down his life for us, the sheep. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And when he did, he inaugurated his new kingdom. God is saying, all these people in the past, you tried your best to start your kingdoms, and your kingdoms only glorified yourselves. You didn't bear my image. They bore your image. Jesus is going to start a new kingdom, and that kingdom will will, will bear God's image. That kingdom will be a kingdom in which God's character goes forward. And he's given, and God has now given humanity a choice. You can stay in the kingdom of this world, and just continue its cycle of brokenness, or you can be transferred into the new kingdom. And this isn't a kingdom restrained by geography. It's not like a country you find on a map. The Bible says that the kingdom is in the midst of you, meaning it's inside of you. The kingdom exists in human hearts. And this isn't a kingdom in which kings abuse their power. This is a kingdom in which the king lays down his life for his servants. And one day in heaven... Jesus will be finally recognized as that great king overall. There's a passage in Revelations 5 where people say in the very end of history to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So why is Jesus worthy? Why, he is, why is he a great king? Because he chose to be slain. Because he chose to ransom us. Because he chose to set up a new kingdom in which God's rule and character are firmly established forever. Where God's mercy, his justice, his love, his righteousness, his peace, they go forward forever. I want to ask you, do you know this Jesus? The reigning Jesus. Some of us, when we think of Jesus, we just think of, you know, generally a nice guy who says nice things. But do you know the reigning Jesus, who is powerful, glorious, awesome, 
king over everything? Or maybe you do recognize Jesus as king, but do you know him as your king? Because there's nobody else worth trusting in more. Nobody else worth submitting to more. Nobody else worth serving more than King Jesus. And notice this passage, who else will reign? We will reign. Okay? That's not, I'm not being out of line with the Bible when I say that. It says, God is taking these ransom people and he's made them a kingdom and they shall reign on the earth. Why? Because if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, that means you are to be conformed into the image of his son, okay? And that, what is the image of his son? The image of God. That means we are to reign with the original purpose we had to have dominion over the earth and to be God's image bearers. As we reign, we rule with God's character in mind. We rule with love and peace and justice. That's how we rule on the new earth. We will reign with God. That's why the Bible calls us co-heirs. That's why, they, they, that's why the Bible says that we are friends with God. Your identity and your mission in heaven will finally come together. I'm going to wrap up in a little bit. Um, but I just want to say a few more things, just, just a few takeaways. You know, people today have a problem with authority. And I'm, I'm in that boat too. A lot of people, we have a problem with authority. And I think it's because there's plenty of good reasons, you know. Uh, people in authority have abused their authority. And so what have we conditioned us, ourselves to do? We've conditioned ourselves to be independent. We say, you know what, I don't want to rely on anybody. I'm just going to rely on myself because people will just let me down. We become our own authority. We choose not to listen to anybody. We choose to just blaze our own trail. That's the American way, to do our own thing. But is that what we really want deep down inside? And I would suggest, if you take a look into your heart, I would suggest, no, that's not really what you want. What you are seeking is good authority. The only problem is all you've ever experienced, or most of what you've experienced, is bad authority. So you just assume all authority is bad. So that's why we set up government systems like democracies where nobody has all the authority because we don't trust anybody at all. And maybe that's you. Maybe in your life you've had bad authority. Maybe you've had bad parents. Maybe, you, maybe you've had bad teachers. Maybe you've had bad role models or bad government officials or maybe bad church leaders. And you've taught yourself to refuse help from anybody. Just trust yourself. And if that's you, I want to suggest give Jesus a try. Give Jesus a try. Because Jesus is the one and only good king. He rules in the way God intended for humans to rule. So allow him to rule your heart. We're just saying, um, when I survey the wonderful cross, and there's that line, love so amazing, so demand, uh, so, sorry, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my soul, my all. Is that right? Doesn't lie my life? I forget. But the, the point is, God's love is so amazing. And it, it demands all of you. Because it is so amazing. For some of you, maybe you've already made the decision to allow Jesus to rule your heart. And if that's you, think about, um, there's this quote in Remember the Titans, where Julia said, attitude reflects leadership. Attitude reflects leadership. And if that's you, if you've allowed Jesus to rule your life, if Jesus is the leader of your life, does your attitude reflect that? 
Does your attitude reflect Jesus' leadership over your life? Meaning, Jesus' Jesus's kingdom is a kingdom of love, peace, and justice. Does your life reflect that? Is your life emitting to other people life and love and peace and justice and righteousness? Or maybe you, you're, just a, you're just a citizen of God's kingdom by name, but you're really living for the values of the world. You're living for the values of the kingdom of the world. Maybe your life is filled with laziness and pride and selfishness and contentiousness, and you say, oh, yeah, I'm a citizen. But it's like, you know, it's like uh, someone who's a citizen of the U.S. but has never set foot in the U.S. before. I want to challenge you to be inspired by the way Jesus lived, to allow your attitude to reflect his leadership in your life, to allow God's rule to penetrate your life even deeper. Allow yourself to be saturated by the love of your king and explore the depths of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus, that he is our king and he rules with love and peace and righteousness and justice. And he chose to lay down his life for his sheep. Thank you that you say in your Bible, no one is able to snatch us out of your hands. And you saved us, and now you are keeping us. And though we go through seasons of life, sometimes years of life where we feel like we don't want you, sometimes we don't talk to you, sometimes we're stubborn, we're hard-hearted, we're not living for you, you still love us. You stay there for us. You want us. You're, you work things for our good still because you are a loving king and you are the one we've been waiting for our whole lives. You're the one history has been waiting for. There are millions of people, billions of people who don't know you and they're living their lives broken because they haven't experienced the true king and that is you. They're longing for someone to lead them and to guide them and to help them and to be there for them, and that's you. God, I pray that you would spur us onwards with your message of hope to let people know there is hope. We don't have to live in brokenness anymore. We don't have to suffer and suffer and suffer with no end, with no reason, no purpose, but we can have hope because you are the king, and, you, and the kingdom is now. The kingdom has already started. The kingdom isn't some faraway thing in some faraway land and we just have to hold this out until we die but the kingdom is now we can experience your spirit your righteousness your love in us right now we can share with others right now we can have joy right now and i pray that you would give us a taste give us a taste of that kingdom thank you for jesus once again, I, don't, I can't thank you enough. I pray that we would, this week, experience him more and more, love him more and more. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen.